Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Coder Conversations. Today, we have special guest, Carl. And uh, how do you pronounce your last name? I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> no problem. It's uh, Swanepoel. Sure. And um, yeah, can you can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, Kevin. Um, I'm glad to have I'm, Yeah, so I am an entrepreneur. Um, I, I have a background in computer science, but straight out of university. In fact, while I was still there in my final year, I started a business called Revelancer, which is a freelancing platform. And I've been running that full time now for nearly two years. Okay, sure. Um, so uh, do you have a background in coding? Uh, like what, what is your technological background? Sure. So I've always had a, a great interest in technology and, and especially software from quite a young age. Um, and then I kind of worked my way from, you know, really basic stuff like Scratch to then um, building like really basic websites with HTML and CSS. Then I learned Python um, and kind of go, you know, went went up from there. Um, I've always been interested in both business and computer science, but especially the combination of the two. So I um, have built a number of different websites that also generated money. Um, so I always really enjoyed kind of combining the, those two fields. Um, but then, you know, more recently at university, I studied AI and robotics, and my major project was very much uh, around AI uh, and machine learning, um, and kind of using that to predict uh, reader sentiment um, in response to news articles, which was really, really quite interesting, and something that you know I'm I'm applying a little bit now with my my business as well. Um, a couple of years later. Interesting. So uh, what, what are your thoughts overall on AI? Like, where do you kind of foresee its future and how are we going to be able to use it? And how do you plan on using it in your business? Sure. Um, I mean, it's it's a very interesting question. Um, I, I don't think that AI, you know, poses a threat exactly in the way that is commonly portrayed in the media. So I don't think that, you know, I, I think when when people think of AI, they think of something that basically mimics a human, but is smarter. Um, and when I say mimics a human, I mean all around mimics a, a human. So, you know, you kind of talk to it like you can to a human and it can do exactly what a human can. And I just, that's not really true. Um, you know, the, the threat of AI is much more in very specific domains. So for example, um, an AI, uh, you know, accountancy software or something that um, looks at lots of companies' books, and then perhaps it can do a better job, you know, um, more accurately uh, and much more efficiently than a human could. And at that point, it could make, um, you know, accountants redundant, possibly, or at least it could um, it could make it so you need fewer of them. So you know, may, maybe someone who's a, a chartered accountant to check over what the um what the ai has done and just kind of make sure it's doing sensible things but then you wouldn't need a team of people anymore you just need one um, and it's the same thing as well with uh, you know in in supermarkets with self checkouts i mean this this isn't really really ai which in fact i'll talk more about that in a moment but you know with with self checkouts for example it's it's again a case where um technology is replacing jobs because uh, you know one set, you know a couple of self checkouts can replace a whole team of um, cashiers for much cheaper over the long run. Um, but then another thing I'll add as well is that a lot of times I think people call things AI, which isn't really AI. So mm. for example, with the example of the self-checkouts, I think in the general public, 
there's probably a pretty good chance that, you know, maybe one in two people you'd ask on the street whether a self-checkout uses AI, they would say yes. Um, and that would be, you know, kind of their perception of it, um, where that's, you know, in, in fact, just not not really the case at all, or at least it doesn't need to. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that it, AI does pose a real threat, kind of in, in summary, um, but it's maybe a bit different to what people think. And it doesn't need to be super advanced to actually, you know, cause a threat to, to people's mm -hmm. jobs. Interesting. Uh, so, like, how should people adapt to prepare for sort of like the, the emergence of AI taking these jobs? Um, I mean, I think to a degree, it's a good idea to specialize in some kind of skill that would be harder to automate, or at least in some kind of a skill where, you know, because I, I, I don't think in the short term, you'll be able to replace humans fully. So, you know, like I mentioned with the example of the accountants, you'll still need somebody to kind of just have a sanity check, you know, in the quality control stage, um, just to make sure that what's being produced is is sensible, but it gets rid of a lot of the, the labor. So if, if you can kind of be a specialist in a given field, there's probably a lower chance that, you know, that your, your job will be Uh, hello, are you still here? Okay, uh, yeah, can you, you got cut out for a second. Uh, you know, if, if you're quite smart and you're well educated, you'll probably be fine for, you know, quite a while because you can be more in that kind of quality control stage or building, you know, um, AI systems or, or whatnot. But the issue is, is if you cannot do that, you know, for, for whatever reason, because you you haven't had, you know, a, a privileged background or, you know, you, you just your, your strength isn't so much in those kind of skills that people would, you know, pe people are come companies pay for and are harder to automate and that that sort of thing. So I think there I don't really know what the answer is, but I think it would be a good idea it's at some point in the future for there to be a universal basic income, especially as more jobs can be automated and companies can save lots of money by automating jobs. There needs to be some kind of support for people who, you know, just don't have an opportunity then otherwise to. froze up again uh okay there we go but yeah um you kind of mentioned that uh you know we're, we're moving like we're, we're really in a knowledge economy now and you know it's kind of like a divide people who are able to get access to education and those who don't have those skills uh you think like maybe that would be a good business opportunity like providing that sort of education to those who normally aren't able to get it I mean, yes, I, I think so. I mean, the, you know, the immediate thing that jumps out at me is I don't know if it would be a good business idea as much as maybe a, some kind of you know, either a social enterprise or a, or a charity idea, because the issue is that, it, you know, the people who cannot access education, um, it, there's probably a good, uh, you know, a good chance that that's because they don't have the means to do that. And then if you were to set up a business that provides that, it might be, you know, that you're kind of trying to charge money from people who who just don't don't have it um but i think that certainly more needs to be 
done. And I think that, you know, if you're born in a country such as the, the US or the, or the UK or Canada or, you know, um, some, somewhere in the West, you do have an inherent advantage, um, you know, kind of from, from birth. And I think more needs to be done to give people, you know, kind of level the playing field. Um, so if you want to get a good education, if you want to kind of, you know, develop your career further, you're, you're not being held back just because of where you're born or, or any other reason. Interesting. Um, so like your current business, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, Kevin, I'm, I'm sure. Um, I, I was just asking. Uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about your current business endeavor? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's a, a, a software, um, you know, tech startup called Revelancer, and we're a freelancing platform. So you know, not too dissimilar from something like a Fiverr or, or an Upwork, but the way in which we're different is we don't charge commission fees. So, you know, if you're selling on Fiverr, they will charge you 20% and they'll charge your customer 5%. So they're in essence taking about a quarter of every transaction. Um, also, they won't let you talk outside of the platform because of that. So you can't video call or email or talk on WhatsApp or anything like that, because if you could, you would pay outside of the platform and avoid paying them their fees. Mm -hmm. um, and also these platforms have a general lack of quality. And that's in fact where we are using AI to, aut to automate that quality approval process so we can have it at scale with a low overhead. Um, but we allow people to talk off platform and we don't charge any any commission fees. So that's what makes us, us different. Interesting. Um, so can you tell us like a, a few of the success stories on the platform, like some of the maybe the developers who've really utilized it to make a living? Yeah, absolutely. So we get dozens of new projects um, kind of going through the platform every day. Um, we have nearly 15,000 users at this point, too, um, up from around 600 uh, or 500 or 600 at the beginning of the year. Um, and, you know, by the end of next year, we want to grow that to 100,000. So we are um, we have lots of developers on the platform. In fact, it's one of our most active um, category. And it makes sense, right? Because people are always looking for a website or some kind of other software for their for their business. Um, so, yeah, we have lots of lots of success stories on the on the platform and kind of, you know, dozens more everyday uh, client projects going through to different freelancers on there. Is there uh, opportunities for people like who may already have a job, but they're looking for a little bit of part-time work? Yes, um, mm -hmm. absolutely there is. So in fact, uh, many of the users on our platform right now fall into that category where, you know, they are working uh, full-time. We then approached them and sort of said, you know, oh, we're impressed by your, your background, what you're doing at the moment. Have you ever considered free freelancing on the side? And in, in a lot of cases, the answer is no, they haven't. Um, but then many of them do consider it and they do try Revelancer. And it's a great way, you know, of kind of earning some extra money on the side and just give you a bit more freedom and, and flexibility, you know, become less, less reliant maybe on your on your kind of main job um, and also earn more if you calculate it, you know, on an hourly basis than if you were to to work for a company, because there's no, you know, if you are sort of the person being paid directly, you're going to earn significantly more than if it's a company that has other expenses as well and is, is then paying you a smaller part. 
you, you have like a variety of company sizes on the platform, like big companies, small companies, or is it, you know? We do have a variety, but the majority of them are small to medium enterprises. I'd say somewhere around five to 10 employees, probably. So basically that they're at a stage where but they can't really have them full-time. Um, so then in that case, hiring a freelancer is a great solution for them because they might need, you know, a website now, then next month they need, you know, these five extra features added to it, then nothing for three months, and then suddenly another feature, you know, for example. And if you're paying someone full-time or part-time, if you're a small company, you can't really afford to do that a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, but if you're hiring freelancers, you know, you can kind of, let's say through the platform so what, what does it look like to sign up how involved is the process they just go to the site fill out a form and they can start applying for jobs that's pretty much it i um i mean we we keep it as simple as possible so you can sign up completely for free um you list you have to list a service first of all um, and this is where our quality check happens so right now it's manual but all of those decisions are added into a big okay yeah, yeah cut out for a second but um yeah you, you mentioned the quality checks is kind of manual right now is that uh, something you plan on automating in the future yes we are um so we, at the moment we just need more data but we're well on our way there so um i i estimate that by the end of next year we will have enough data for that process to be uh you know for us to be able to, to automate that and for the classifier to be Okay, I, I know uh, one of the uh, one of the like kind of qualms a lot of people have about sites like Upwork is you know if you're in a Western nation, uh, you're competing against people who may uh, you know they're in a nation with a lot coster a, a lot cheaper cost of living, so you know it's hard to compete you know on a wage basis. Does your your platform have like anything to make it more like incent you know like a more palatable for Western developers who may have a higher cost of living and therefore a higher rate? Sure. So um, a lot of our large competitors, their primary focus is giving clients the cheapest possible deal. Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't think they try and hide that either, because if you look at Fiverr, for example, it's it's in the name. Um, but we approach things differently. So we're all about quality, you know, not, not quantity as these other platforms are in, in my view. Um, and what we've found oftentimes with companies on the platform. You hear me? Yeah, okay, you're back. I don't know, cutting out, yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I was saying is uh, what we've found oftentimes is that people, you know, co companies on our platform specifically look for freelancers who are based in the same country as them. And I've seen that, you know, kind of a trend like that recently, too, with um, a large company that provides 
um, uh, these uh, scales for supermarkets so people can weigh their produce and you know, know what, what to pay. Um, same thing for self-checkouts as well. They used to outsource all of their work to uh, to a, a company in India, I believe, but they have recently taken that all back to the UK again. I mean, um, yes, you can probably save some money by outsourcing to a country with a lower cost of living if you're if you're a, sort of a company based in the West. But oh, but there are many advantages too to working with people who are located in the same country as you. You know, um, I mean, one big one is time zone. Um, mm. Another one is, is kind of the, the sort of culture of where you're based. The working culture might be more similar. I mean, in many cases, that doesn't matter so much, but it, it might matter to, to some companies. Um, but also, should something go wrong and you need to you know, take legal action or seek some kind of re repercussion, it's, it's 20 times harder to do if they are not based in the same country as you. So it does happen, of course, that um, some companies specifically try and just get the cheapest possible price. But those companies will often go to platforms where that's kind of the, the main focus, you know, that's not the main focus of our platform. So we don't really see that so much with, with our clients. And what we also see is that freelancers will, rather than trying to undercut each other, which we, you know, actively incentivize against, um, rather than undercutting each other, freelancers will charge, you know, kind of in line with the value that they are producing for the client, irrespective of, of where they're based. Got it. Yeah, it definitely sounds good, man. Um, yeah, what what made you uh, want to get into entrepreneurship in the first place? Uh, I think I'd be a, a really terrible employee. Um, <laughs> I think I'd get fired quite quickly. I don't know. I've always um, I've always kind of wanted to do my own thing, and I think if I were working for someone else, I would grow quite frustrated um, at you know needing to do something a certain way, even if I feel you know, there's a better way of doing things. Um, that doesn't mean that I think I'm always right, you know, but I just don't like the dynamic of, you know, I make a good case, but yet they, they still overrule me because they're my boss, you know, if, if, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. But also, you know, I, I kind of... Uh, hear me? Okay, yeah, I can hear you now. But uh, the, yeah, the last part I heard was uh, like you don't want to be overruled because uh, you know somebody's your boss, and you know you might have a better case than them. But just because they're your boss, you know, you have to go with their choice. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's just just not really a working style that I'm I'm interested in. Um, but I've I've always you know I've kind of always just been. I'm not sure if that's on my end or not. Yeah, I can hear you again. I'm not sure why it keeps doing that. Um, yeah, but yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, but I've, I've, you know, what I was saying is I've just always enjoyed um, setting up my own little projects and kind of, you know, being being in control of all the different parts that go in. So if I'm setting up a website. Um, actually building the website, uh, putting together the branding, the marketing strategy, just pulling all, all the pieces together. And I really love working with other people too, but I, I like kind of having a say in, um, in what, what happens. 
so did you kind of like go right from uh you know like schooling right into entrepreneurship or did you work any uh jobs in between that i've i've never had a normal job so since since the age of 14 i've been trying to make money online mostly hugely unsuccessful but a couple of things have have worked um and i was i was in a really fortunate position to you know start my business halfway through my final year of university and then within a few months of graduating we raised our first um pre-seed round so it was able to to pretty much um you know i could pretty much sustain myself from the business uh right out of out of education so um yeah I've, i i have been quite lucky so far and not needing to get a normal job and <laughs> hopefully I, I my luck continues what are some of the uh, lessons you learned along the way um that's a good question. I'd say probably the biggest takeaway, which surprised me, is I read a book called um, Power by Jeffrey Pfeffer, um, which I, I highly recommend, you know, you and, and everyone listening checks out. He's a professor of organizational behavior at Stanford University. Um, and he kind of talks about, you know, power dynamics in the in the workplace and sort of what predicts success. And specifically around that, um, he made this list of the top seven um kind of uh traits and habits that predict success and it might surprise you to hear that intelligence is not on that list at all mm -hmm. um, and the number one thing on that list is grit you know so just being persistent and not giving up so you know if i could choose between being really persistent or, or being really smart i would choose being really persistent every single time because even if it, you know, if what I do at the beginning is kind of awful and it keeps failing, but if I just keep going and keep going, eventually I'll get to something that will work. Um, so I'd say the biggest lesson I've learned is that, you know, your stick to itiveness or, or your persistence and your grit, that's the most important thing. Like everything else is sec secondary mm -hmm. to that. Um, and I think that's where most people fail you know because it is hard sometimes especially when you kind of keep failing at what you're trying it's very hard to muster up the strength to to kind of keep going and i've definitely been very close before um you know like not not too recently thankfully but you know a couple of years ago i have been very close to just thinking you know this just isn't going to work i need to stop but i didn't quit and i'm very glad that i didn't and i think you know if i could go back and tell myself something you know uh, a few years ago i would just say basically don't worry about whether you succeed or fail like you know you can worry about that in the long run just never give up just keep trying stuff even if it keeps failing just keep trying exactly yeah i've, I've read about a similar concept by uh, you know one in one of those robert kiyosaki books like uh yeah. a students are typically employees while like the c students they're more inclined to start their own business so it's not really about raw intelligence like like you mentioned it's more about persistence and adapting and uh yeah i kind of believe uh you know our school systems they're training they're, they're creating more employees than employers and you know for society to work i guess that's just by design but um absolutely and and you know and there's another big problem with that too um the, the 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 problem is if you're smart there's a there's a pretty good chance that you think you know better than other people mm. and that's really bad if you're an employer because if you just think you're better than everyone else you're not going to work well with others 
you know, and, and to grow a company, you need a very talented team of people. So one of the rules that I live by is I always try and be the dumbest person in the room. That doesn't mean, you know, I'm like trying to be the most unintelligent person in the room, but it means that I want to surround myself with people who are significantly better in their field than I am. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I've got a co-founder who's our CTO. Obviously, I've got a technical background, but um, Sky, who's my co-founder, is a significantly better developer than I am. And that's very much by design. I, that's what, you know, I was looking for someone like that as a co-founder. And I think that, you know, that's another thing where, where people could easily fall into a trap, especially if they're smart, is they would, um, you know, they would look basically for someone who, who isn't smarter than them. And that can be a problem. We got a question from the audience. It says, question to Carl, do you think your education was beneficial since you started your business right after college? Um, it's a very good question. I would say yes, but not in the way you might think. Um, so in terms of this, the stuff I learned in the course, no. In terms of the sort of um, credibility that's associated with it, I'd say yes, you know, because if I'm sort of pitching to investors and then I say, you know, oh, we're, we're using AI, you know, it's such a buzzword. So they will immediately just think, you know, oh, what, you know, what's that based on? Is that just a buzzword? But then if I can say, oh, I have a, a degree in AI and robotics, suddenly they say, oh, okay, you know, no, no problem. So the thing is, I don't know to what degree it's helped. I think it probably has helped to some degree. But that being said, what I actually learned as a part of the course, I don't really use at all in my in my day to day. So I would I could, you know, I would quite comfortably say um, I probably could have gone, you know, I probably could have started the business and gotten just as far without it, maybe even sooner, you know, because then instead of uh, going to university for three years, I could have start, started with the business sooner. But it's, you know, it's it's very hard to say for sure. Um, but I've got quite a, um, I've got quite a negative uh, perception of you know formal education in, in general, to be honest. Um, so I wouldn't say it's ne necessary, especially if you want to go into um, entrepreneurship. So, like, uh, kind of going back to the previous question, um, you you mentioned the importance of surrounding yourself with people smarter than you know smarter than you. I've seen I've seen like Henry Ford, I believe he says something similar. Um, how do you keep your ego in check to be able to be around a bunch of people who are like more skilled than you in these certain areas and, you know, not like feel like, uh, you know, get the imposter syndrome and things of that nature? Oh, I mean, I've, I certainly get imposter syndrome. So I don't think that's I don't think it's possible to avoid that. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. because I think imposter syndrome is a sign that you are probably doing quite quite well you know um, I mean that's kind of the point you feel imposter syndrome is you feel like you don't deserve to be doing as, as well as you are so I do absolutely get that I think it's normal to get that but in terms of the first part of your question um, like how to keep my ego in check I mean I think it's it's a very simple case of my number one priority is the success of the business mm -hmm. and in order to for the business to be successful I need for the business to do the right things, to have, you know, to implement the best ideas, to generate the best ideas. And it doesn't matter where those ideas come from, whether it comes from me or from someone else, you know, it just needs to be the right idea. So I don't want to 
be responsible for having all the right answers. Mm -hmm. So I would rather surround myself with people who are experts in different fields. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I would say, I, you know, I'm, well, I don't know if I'd quite call myself an expert, but I, I, I know quite a bit about certain fields, but then there are other people who, you know, who know way more in, in fields where I don't. So I would rather get them involved and listen to them when making decisions um, about those things that I don't know so much about than trying to figure it out by myself. Because if I were more focused on my own ego than the success of the business, then the business definitely wouldn't be successful. Mm. So like, uh, you know, I, I know like one thing is like smart people, they hate being micromanaged. So how do you find that balance of, uh, you know, keeping these guys on task, but not, you know, being so over their shoulders where they start feeling uncomfortable? It's a good, yeah, it's a very good question. Um, I, with management, I think you don't really need to manage if you hire the right people. Mm. And especially if you run the company, especially, you know, and it's at an early stage. So you're very much um, like sort of involved in the hiring process and deciding who to hire. If you hire the right people and if you're quite good at spotting, you know, who it is you're looking for and whether someone would be a good cultural fit for the company. Okay. You're good at looking out for, um, you know, what, what the right person that you know, making sure they're a good cultural fit for the company. You don't really need to manage. Mm -hmm. um, and and with our team at Revelancer, you know, everybody who's on the, on the team is self motivated. So, you know, they, they are already very motivated. They're very conscientious. They believe in the company's mission. And that's another thing because, you know, because a, a startup cannot compete on with salary against a large player. Mm. So you, you're kind of forced to hire people who care more about the mission of the company. So we've got a lot of former freelancers on the team who are disgruntled and genuinely want to change the industry, you know? Um, so... I don't do micromanaging at all. Um, you know, I, it, I judge people by their outputs. So, you know, I kind of, kind of the way we work oftentimes, like in the tech department or the marketing department is at the beginning of the week, we'll say, these are the things we want to achieve in the week. This is how we'll distribute the tasks done. And then on Friday, we just check kind of what, what happened. And then if there are problems, you know, like someone has been underperforming, then we can look into that. But certainly, you know, like in the week or in whatever kind of sprint length that we do, there is no point in me wasting my time, like chasing people up, especially if they're if I haven't seen there be an, an issue. Like, let's say someone has five tasks, which if they achieve them by the end of the week, that's a great week and they don't do anything until Thursday. And then they suddenly, you know, just cram in all those tasks and they do a great job of them. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, you know, like I would rather, you know, v versus they work like the whole time and they get four of the five done throughout the whole week. I'd say, you know, the do just cramming them all in on, on a Thursday, if you can do them all well, is a much more preferred option. So that's how I, that's how I kind of approach it. And I, and I think what probably helps me as well is I would hate working for someone else so much and my standards are so high for like what I would expect a boss to be like 
that I try to act in a way where I wouldn't mind working for myself, if that makes sense. And I think that, um, well, at least the people who work with me say that, that, you know, that they kind of like my management style, but who knows, maybe they're just, <laughs> just trying to be nice. So yeah, you kind of mentioned uh, hiring the right people. What what does the the right person look like to you? And like, how, what what criteria do you use to kind of say I want to bring this person on? And also, what does the wrong person look like? Like uh, this guy might not be a good fit. Mm -hmm. So I'll answer like you know the question very much spe specifically for us because I think for different companies um, at different stages, it's the you know the answer will differ. But in an early stage tech startup, what you need is people who really think differently from the crowd. Mm. So one question that I really like to ask in interviews is what is a popular opinion you disagree with and why? And this is adapted from a question that Peter Thiel um, asks in, in interviews and I think is, is absolutely brilliant. The reason being, um, you can tell from someone's answer to that and also how into detail they go, you know, just how much of an independent thing thinker they are. Because if they can kind of see a different future, those are the kind of people you need in a tech startup. Because a, a tech startup is this kind of crazy thing of, you know, growing extremely fast and, and, and basically doing something that, you know, maybe wasn't really possible before the, the age of the internet, um, you know growing a business from basically nothing really fast until it's like a major global player. So you need people who are kind of a bit crazy and can see the future differently um, in order to pull that off. So that's, that's a big part of it. I also think that um, another, like an, another key approach that I use when, when hiring is it, it is much more important to find the right person than to like have the right role. So it's happened a couple of times where we've hired people where we don't really know what role they're going to do or like we have something for them to do, but it's probably not going to be the right fit like longer term. But just the person is is really good. Like, you know, they they're very sharp. They're, they're a good cultural fit for the company. They can see the future differently to the crowd. Um, and then we find the right position for them. Because it's much easier to find the right position for someone than it is to like change the you know the wrong person into the right person. That's in fact I don't even think that's possible really. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I mean that's that's kind of what I that's the key thing that I look for. I also look for just people who you know I can general genuinely get on with. That doesn't mean you know that like everyone working there you know I, I have to like it has to be someone that I think I could be friends with. Um, but it does mean, you know, they have to be well-intentioned, you know, kind people, um, whether I agree with them on, on everything or not really doesn't matter, but they have to be kind and, and courteous. And with that, you know, if you get people who are like self-driven, they can see the future differently and they're kind, courteous and, and respectful people, then you can build a really good team of people who are like self-motivated. You don't really need to watch them. They work very well together and everyone really enjoys working in that environment mm. too. So it's really important for me to, you know, build that and also to protect that as we scale and take on more people as well. Well, yeah, to kind of ask you uh, your own question, like what, what was the popular opinion that you disagree with? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, for me, 
there are a lot of things I could say, but the main one is um, just about the education system. Mm. Um, I I disagree that school, college, university is really good for you on the balance in the way that it currently works. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that school really stifles creativity. I think that college yeah. and university to a large degree, in, in my view, is a scam. Um, yeah. I, I, when I say that, you know, I just want to clarify that ba- basically what I mean is I, I, I think that someone who is kind of smart enough to go to university or college is also someone who, given the internet, can teach themselves basically everything to a same level or better, you know, Mm -hmm. in the same period of time or a shorter period of time um, than what they would learn in a degree. And then a degree is something that's very expensive. It's it's quite exclusive in in some places too. Um, You know, there are student loans, all, all this kind of madness around it. But the, the benefit then is if you apply for a job, that's oftentimes something people look for. And you yeah. might be like, you know, you might have you might be a self-taught developer or, you know, maybe not even that self-taught. Maybe you followed some big course on YouTube or you read a bunch of books and you might be much better than a, you know, just a fresh graduate. But there's a good chance that unfortunately they might they'll still have a better chance um, applying for a lot of jobs than, uh, you know, than than you would. Um, But I think things are changing. Like me personally, I don't look at people's educational background at all. I'm not interested. I'm interested in what projects have they done. If that's a project they did at school, university, like fine, that's absolutely fine. But I want to know, like, what's a project that they are proud of and really demonstrates their ability, not not what does uh, that you know piece of paper say that where they memorized a bunch of answers for an exam uh, you know I, I i really couldn't care less um and i think that the world is is moving slowly more towards that kind of viewpoint mm-hmm. um but i i think it's yeah i i just think it's a it's a shame that it's that that's the way um things are currently yeah i hold very similar opinions about the educational system Oh, yeah. Can, can you give me one second? I guess got to make a minute long phone call. Yeah, no problem at all. Okay, give me one second. Okay, sorry about that. I'm back. <clears throat> yeah, no problem at all. But yeah, um, I, I, I've long held, uh, you know, very similar views on the educational system. Um, I don't know if you read the book by John Taylor Gatto. He has a couple of them that kind of like detail the history of uh, the Western educational system. And it's more there to create obedience and compliance than to create entrepreneurs. So like, even when you mentioned uh, 
you know, the, the number one trait isn't necessarily, you know, what they deem as intelligence is more so persistence. Um, school kind of teaches you the opposite. It teaches you you need to get things right the first time, you know, and that kind of makes you play it safe as opposed to trying something new, failing and trying again, because in school, if you fail, you get marked down, you know. Yeah, com completely agree. Um, it's and, and the other thing is just the sort of teaching style in school. I, I think it um, it's the right, you know, it's like the right way for a minority of people. I think it's probably mm -hmm. like an okay way for um, for a larger group of people. But I think it's also completely the wrong way for a significant amount of people. So, you know, for, for me personally, um, I have ADHD. I only found that mm. out um, one or two, no, yeah, two, two years ago at this point. I only found that out two years ago, long after I had left school, you know, when I was already in my final year of university. Um, and it explained a lot to me. But also, I think that school was just never kind of structured in a way um, where it actually... Yeah, um, basically, that school doesn't play to. Um... Mm -hmm. Let's say I want to figure out how to use Python. You know, I wouldn't pick up a book. I would, I would think, mm, you know, it, maybe it would be cool to build a program that does this, and then I would just mm -hmm. start trying to build it. Like, okay, so now I need to print something out. Google, how do I do that? You know, how do I do FLs? How do I do? How do I make a class? You know, whatever. Um, that's just how how I learn best. I kind of set a goal and then just work my way towards it and figure it out on the way. But I but school just isn't designed for people who operate in that way. And I don't think you know that any way of learning is right or wrong. It's just it's what's right for you as an individual. Yeah. But school is so like cookie cutter, so narrow and designed in a way to make people who aren't, you know, who don't learn in a very theoretical way to make them maybe think that they're just not good enough, you know, and certainly like mark them down relative to people who are. And I think that's just plain wrong because a lot of creativity is, is stifled that way. And a lot of potential is, is completely lost that way as well, in my view. So do you think the system will ever change? And if not, um, how, how would a company be able to kind of like capitalize on, uh, you know, the, the diversity of learners? And, you know, because like you mentioned, school pretty much caters towards one style where when there's really numerous styles that can actually get things done. Okay, yeah. There we go. Back. <laughs> yeah, so in terms of do do I think it will change? Um I hope so. I I, I don't really know. Uh I, I really hope that it does. I think it needs to. Um and in terms of how well I I, th I think what can really be done to help and, and you know certainly helped me is is just people creating content and publishing it for free on the internet. So sort of content on um, learning a certain skill, uh, content, you know, around, um, 
you know, maybe critiquing uh, formal education and, and challenging it, um, you know, questioning it. I mean, that certainly helped me. I, I mean, you know, I there are so many examples of where I went into like a one hour lecture for my my um, uni degree. And I sat in there and I absorbed absolutely nothing. I understood mm. nothing. Then I went home, looked up, uh, you know, on YouTube, that certain topic, watched a three minute video, understood it like this. So yeah. I just wasted an hour sitting in that lecture, <laughs> you know. Um, exactly. So th I, th I think that's, that's really the key here. You know, people have to just create more content and make that content more visible to um people who are in school who are in university and maybe aren't happy with the the you know the learning style there and, and kind of want to learn in a different way and access you know more kind of kind of different skills that aren't being taught um in school and university i think unfortunately unfortunately you know like it, it's a legal requirement for people to go to school at the very least and like with university it's not a legal requirement it's often also like quite a high barrier of, of entry um, financially. Like, I, I know in the States, especially, you know, I would have never been able to afford to go to university there. In the UK, you have like student loans and, and stuff which don't work like a normal loan. So basically, if you don't earn above a certain threshold, you don't pay back anything is the way it works in the UK. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot more lenient. But the other thing with university is, is like, sometimes it's a requirement just to get a job, just that literally yeah. just that that piece of paper you know not anything you learn just the piece of paper um, mm -hmm. in a lot of cases unfortunately um so i think there would need to be like large uh legislational you know changes in legislation for for it to change but i think in the in the meantime um if we just create more content like a community online um to teach people certain skills and give them the ability to learn and in a way where they will have to, you know, try things, fail, and then learn from that. Then I think that's a a good start for now, and certainly has helped me a lot along my journey. Yeah, I agree. I think I've easily learned more off of YouTube, Udemy, and these different platforms in school. Um, I, I think it would be an interesting platform where, um, you know, these, like you mentioned, the creators. We we have to have people that's willing to teach, like a sort of YouTube type of platform that's geared towards people teaching and uh, maybe some kind of donation system where, you know, they can donate if they really like this person's, uh, you know, teaching style and content. I mean, that, that could be a, you know, interesting idea. Um, but I, I definitely agree with you that there, there needs to be a revolution in education, especially since uh, everything is so knowledge-based, which kind of goes back to the very beginning. Like um, if your knowledge isn't at a certain threshold, you might get left behind in this uh, the upcoming economy. Exactly, and the the other thing that that you know really annoys me about both school and university is how how they like to pretend that you know not only that the internet doesn't exist, but even sometimes that a calculator doesn't exist. Mm, you know, yeah. um, and and I you know like I remember there there were exams that I did at university where I had to write like Haskell code just memorized on on paper and then they would mark you know if you made a syntax error they would mark you down and it's so so unbelievably stupid because in reality that wouldn't happen in reality you'd have an ide that would probably correct the syntax for you 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 could google you could go and stack overflow yeah. you know and kind of go along the way so 
I think that exams should be, should absolutely let you use Google because that's reflective of the real world. You can't always just Google the answer to something. Sometimes you need, you know, you need kind of, um, you need to think around it too, but you need to be able to Google because that in, in and of itself, finding the right information online is a skill. Yeah. Um, and I think that should be taught more because we don't live in a world anymore where you have to memorize a whole page from a textbook. You know, it's just never going to happen. You can pull out your phone, Google it, done, you know, find out anything. So really, it's, they should be teaching more around how to think, how to solve problems, not yeah. memorizing information, because we have superior ways of doing that now. Exactly. Uh, I also believe like uh, some of the onus lies on, the, you know, the, the business owners who, like you mentioned, they catered it like they need to see the degree, but they might just ignore all the skills the candidate has. They might not have a degree, but. They're extremely smart. They're a great problem solver, but they won't get hired because, you know, the degree is kind of like the gatekeeper. Absolutely. And, and you know what what we do for hiring developers is we set them a tech challenge. So, you know, we kind of have an initial interview to figure out, um, you know, just what is this person like? Do they seem, uh, you know, like how do they think that kind of stuff? But really what's most important with a developer role is like, you know how well can they problem solve what's the you know how, how well can they um how well can they code so that's what we do you know we, we set them a tech challenge um it's kind of you know we have like a project that's similar to our tech stack um that that we use for the main platform but it's a different uh, project it's kind of like it's basically an, an e-commerce store but it's broken by default and there are a bunch of classes missing and and stuff so you have to Im implement them yourself to get it working and then you need to add new features to they are just basically that's that's how we how we uh that's the main thing that we use to to test someone you know again i i couldn't care less about their degree couldn't care less if they have a degree or not mm -hmm. what the degree is and it just doesn't matter because in my opinion it doesn't it doesn't really correlate with how good you are at something it could mean you're very good at something but it could also mean you're very good at bullshitting your way into doing exactly. something and actually you know you're not very good at it at all exactly yeah man uh, we're at the top of the hour and uh you know i'd love to have you back man so we can get it more in depth into like education and all of these other subjects man uh, are you open to coming back yeah absolutely i'd love to oh yeah man i definitely enjoyed today's conversation we appreciate everybody who also tuned in uh, we'll catch y'all next time yeah well thanks very much for having me kevin oh man love you have to a have good rest you of your day same to you all right